Isaac must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or goat, with no defects. Verse 6, take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. The same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with their bitter salad, greens, and bread made without yeast. Verse 9, do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, legs, and internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. How many are still thankful you're here this morning? Um, If I'm ruining your appetites, I'm sorry. Uh, Verse 11, these are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. And then he goes on to give further instructions In verse 13, I'm going to skip over uh, the rest of the verses. We'll come to them here in just a moment. Father, as we uh, spend these next few minutes together in your word, as we prepare our hearts this morning to share together in these elements, God, I pray today that all across this room that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to reflect on the significance and the importance of the greatest sacrifice that was ever made, the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Lord, may we remember that today and may we never forget the price that you paid at Calvary for our sins so that we could spend eternal life with you. Holy Spirit, help me to speak your word with boldness, with clarity, with simplicity. Help me to decrease and help you to increase and be the focus of our time together this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. How many know that our lives are full of defining moments that are often life-changing? I'm certain if I were to take a poll in this room, several of you would probably be able to share with me several of those defining moments, moments in your life that your life was altered for good or bad, but defining moments that we go back to that really shaped who we are, shaped our family, and even shaped our life. I know for me, I can think of several when I was younger, when I turned 16, the first car that I bought, uh, I raised the money myself. I, I worked for that car. I raised $1,800, paid cash for it, got me through high school, and then had to buy another one before college. Uh, but that was a defining moment, the moment that I got my driver's license and was able to purchase my first car. I think as a family, the moment uh, that we purchased our first house uh, was a defining moment for our family. And, and I remember moving into that home and kind of making it our own, decorating it, painting it, giving it a fresh look and, and really taking joy in that defining moment. Maybe some of you uh, can re- relate, but for, for us, I think my family, one of the um, most defining moments, I think, for us is probably uh, the, the moment that we had our first kid. Um, our other kids are special too, but that first kid was, was something special and holding Eden in our arms for the very first time. What a defining moment that was. I know for me, I can recall back several years ago when uh, I was ordained, um, there was a special service that was held at Grace Assembly in, in uh, New Whiteland, Indiana, 
uh, Greenwood, Indiana area, and we had a service where I came to the front and hands were laid up on me. My, my dad was there during that moment and a few other special guests as they charged us, as they prayed over us and charged us with the task of preaching faithfully the word of God. What a special moment for me and, and when it comes to ministry. And then another moment that I recall is um, back in 2019. It was the Sunday uh, just prior to us coming here uh, we were commissioned, Sarah and I, our family, and part of the team that was with us, we were commissioned and we were sent out to come here to Dunkirk to plant this church. What a defining moment, not just for us, but I believe for this church as well. All of us probably have those defining moments in our life that we can recall, the moment that we gave our heart to Christ, the moment that Christ came inside and changed and transformed how we thought and how we lived. When I think about the children of Israel, the children of Israel certainly had their fill of defining moments. Uh, What about the receiving of the law on Mount Sinai, where Moses goes and ascends to the top of the mountain and he receives the law from God and he comes back down and he begins to relay those instructions to the people of God? Or how about the construction of the tabernacle? So much detail put into uh, that event and that moment, but they were constructing a place that was mobile. And as God moved the people through the wilderness, the tabernacle went with them. And any place that God stopped, they would stop and they would set up the tabernacle. It was a place for the people to meet and worship God. What a defining moment for the people of Israel. How about their entrance into the land of promise? They, they had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And finally, Joshua has been commissioned to lead Israel into the land of promise. They cross over the Jordan and they begin to conquer and take the territory that has been deemed theirs. Or how about the completion of Solomon's temple? This uh, miraculous, this phenomenal event where they can again come in the city of Jerusalem and worship and bring offerings and sacrifices to the Lord, or even the 70 year period. Maybe not such a good defining moment, but a defining moment for Israel when they spent 70 years in exile because of their, their disobedience and their faithlessness. And, and because of that, they were in exile for 70 years, but God brought, brought them back into the land. Promise, But when I think about the defining moments for Israel, there is probably no moment more defining than the Passover event that happens here in Exodus chapter 12 and chapter 13. Let me just give you the context and then we'll work through uh, this text rather quickly as we prepare to share together in the elements. But Israel had been slaves to Egypt for a long time, 430 years Really, since the time of Joseph, after that Pharaoh died, there was a new Pharaoh that came to power. He didn't know about Joseph, didn't have a good relationship with Joseph and his family. And so they were afraid that this group of people that started off as just 70 would start to grow and get bigger and eventually take them over. So they began to enslave the people of Israel for 430 years. They were in bondage. Finally, after crying out to God for deliverance, God heard their cries. He remembered the promise that he made with Israel and he sent them a deliverer, the person by the name of Moses. Moses was tasked with the responsibility of going back to Pharaoh and rescuing the people of God. We know, if you know the story, if you read Exodus, really the first uh, 10 uh, to 12 chapters, if you read the first part of Exodus, you will see that in Pharaoh's stubbornness and his hardness of heart, he refused time after time after time to let the people go. 
Uh, we're familiar with the story because there were 10 different plagues that were brought upon the people of Egypt, really to bring judgment upon them and to display how incredible God's power was compared to the gods of Egypt. But even in those first nine plagues, Pharaoh's heart became so hardened and stubborn that he refused to let the people go. But God then brought forth a final plague, which would bring death upon all the firstborn sons in Egypt. Yet there was a way, as we see in our text today, there was a way to escape God's judgment in this final plague. I want to make this statement because this will really shape our focus this morning. The institution of the Passover during the final plague against Egypt would really foreshadow the salvific or the saving work of God in Jesus Christ. What we read here in Exodus chapter 12 will really foreshadow what, what will be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we will see that this morning as we work through the text. Let's examine this life-altering moment for Israel and take note of how it gives us a glimpse of God's saving work. Number one, the Passover events commemorated God's act of redemption on behalf of, it, on behalf of Israel. Let's read the text again in Exodus chapter 16, actually, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 1. Uh, this speaks of the Passover later on, just before God's people enter the land of promise. It says, In honor of the Lord your God, celebrate the Passover each year in the early spring in the month of Aviv. For that was the month in which the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Here's what we know about the Passover. The Passover, or what later became referred to as or lumped in with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, was appointed as one of the main feasts or festivals for Israel. There were several festivals that, that the people were required, um, at least three of them, that they were required to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate in, in the course of an entire year. And this was one of them. This was a very special feast and festival that they celebrated often. Israel was instructed to celebrate it annually. Why? In remembrance of God's saving work. Now, how many of you in here have an incredible memory? Some of you. How many of you have to write things down often because we forget? Uh, I am one of those people. I have to write it down. If I don't write it down on a post-it note um, and, trans and transfer it somewhere else, there's a good chance I'm going to forget. Well, the people of God, this may be extreme, but, but they had the celebration, this festival that they celebrate in order to remember or to recall the saving work of God that took place when God's people were brought out of Egypt. He did not want them to forget what he had done. And that's why this, this festival was instituted. Again, we know that the people of God, they were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. Pharaoh refused to let them go. He brought 10 plagues upon them and got brought judgment upon Egypt. And the final plague was the destruction of all the firstborn boys. But for those who followed God's instructions, he would, as we read in our text, he would pass over their homes and not bring death to their firstborn. On the completion of the final plague, Israel was delivered then from their bondage and they were saved from God's judgment. We'll talk more about that here in just a moment. But how many know that the Passover event then foreshadowed the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross? We're going to see here in just a moment in this festival, it was required that they bring um, a, a bring into their home a, a lamb, a one-year-old lamb or goat, 
that was spotless, that was perfect. And here's the reality, folks. Every single time that Israel offered up the lamb or any other offerings or sacrifices that were made, they were insufficient in really releasing the guilt and the sin from people's life. That's why they had to offer these sacrifices over and over again until we get to Jesus Christ, the once and for all, all sufficient sacrifice that was made Upon the cross. The reason that we share together in communion is to remember God's saving work at Calvary. Because if we forget it, if we forget what God has done, it will be detrimental to our walk with Christ. There comes a place in Israel's history after they enter into the promised land. Um, Joshua leads them in and Joshua was an incredible uh, demonstrative leader and he led the charge and they conquered all this territory. But then Joshua dies and there is this very unfortunate, very sad verse in Judges chapter two, verse 10. It says that there was a new generation of people that grew up and this new generation of people, they forgot what the Lord had done. And they fail to remember the miraculous events that took place. And folks, we never want to get to a place where we forget what God has done in our heart and in our life, where we forget the miraculous things that he has done. And that's why, that's why he's instituted this festival. That's why he says to them, I want you to celebrate the Passover every single year because I want you to remember my saving work, how I rescued you out of Egypt and brought you into the land of promise. And the same is true when we share together in the elements We're not just doing this out of a routine, but we're doing this to call to our memory what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ, how he's rescued you, me, and all of humanity out of sin, and he's given us eternal life. And so we share together in these elements, we celebrate that in order to remember and to recall what he has done. The Passover event, we know, altered the history of Israel. We read in Exodus chapter 12, while the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. I think all of us know that the the date July 4th, 1776, it it was a history-altering day for America. It's a day that we continue to celebrate every single year. There's a new celebration. It's noted on our calendars, and it unifies our country. But we see here in this text that the Passover event, it was so essential to the life of Israel that their calendar revolved around this celebration. We read in the text that the Passover and Exodus event actually marked the first month of the year for Israel. It was so essential to their life and to their faith that the calendar revolved around this event, what took place, God rescuing Israel and bringing them out of bondage. It resembled that they were no longer slaves to Egypt. For 430 years, they were slaves. And, and, and just imagine, put yourself in their shoes. They, they probably didn't even have a calendar in mind. I mean, days were probably running together, but this was going to be a significant day when God brought them out of Egypt, when he rescued them and he brought them into the land of promise. And, and so now this life-altering event that took place has even changed their, their calendar. And now they're starting their day off, their month off, with this celebration. It marked a new beginning, a fresh start for Israel. We also know that the saving work of God in Christ does the very same thing. Folks, the cross has set us free from being slaves to sin 
and he has made us slaves to Christ. The cross, and I think all of us can attest to that this morning, has given us all a fresh start, a new beginning. How many are thankful for new beginnings? Amen? The cross of Jesus Christ has given us a fresh start and a new beginning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it has altered our calendar as well. There's a reason that we most often gather on Sunday mornings to worship. It's because Sunday morning is often deemed as Resurrection Sunday. That doesn't mean we can't, we can't worship any other day of the week, but there's something unique, something specific about Sunday because it is Resurrection Day, the day that, that Christ arose from the grave. And so even the resurrection of Jesus Christ was so life-altering that it even changed in how we worship when we gather together corporately to honor him. The cross of Christ has altered my life. It's altered your life and it has put us on a new trajectory and one that I am thankful to be on. Tim Keller wrote these words. He says, when a great big truck goes over a tiny little bridge, sometimes there's a bridge quake. And when a big man goes onto thin ice, there's an ice quake. Listen to this. Whenever Jesus Christ comes down into a person's life, there is a life quake. Everything is reordered. How many are thankful that our life has been reordered because of what Jesus Christ has done? And that's why this is such a life-altering. This is not an insignificant event. The Passover celebration or the cross of Jesus Christ is not something that we can just put aside and, and label it as something insignificant or not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. Because it has changed the life of humanity, the course of humanity. We've been set free. We've been rescued from the life of sin. Number three, the Passover event had to be given special and careful attention. Look at Exodus 12, verses 3 through 4. Announced to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family. It doesn't say anything if your family is too big, you know, bring in two or three animals. It just says if you have a small family, um, you know, bring in a couple families together and share that with one another. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. How many of you in this room are individuals who pay close attention to detail? Any, any of you, a uh, few hands, and then other of you, could, uh, the rest of you could care less about the details and just big picture people, all right? Well, when it comes to the Passover celebration, really when it comes to God in general, even as I've been reading through the book of Exodus, it's very clear that God is one who pays attention to detail. I mean, as I read through Exodus and I, I read about how long, you know, the, 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 curtain's supposed to be, how tall it's supposed to be, what colors and, and how to make. I, I mean, at some point, I think some of us read through that. And we're like, just who cares? It doesn't really matter, right? And, and maybe that's the position we take and that's fine. We can kind of skim over that. But if there's anything we get from reading those instructions and seeing the detail is that the God we serve cares about the details of our life. And that's the same that is true here in the Passover celebration. He gives them very specific instructions that they are to be careful in how they carry out. 
God expected Israel to follow carefully the instructions for this celebration. There is no room. This isn't like, um, you know, when you order something from Ikea and open it up. This is not the place where you can start skipping instructions, all right? It doesn't work that way. Um, If you miss a screw or a nail, you're going to really screw something up. Well, when it comes to the Passover celebration, there is no, like, you know, procrastinating and waiting till later. That's not how it's going to work. Otherwise, it will not be able to be celebrated in the proper manner. Procrastinating would not be sufficient. It would certainly fall short of God's expectations. Last minute arrangements couldn't be made. Why? Because they needed a lamb on the 10th day and they needed to care for it for a few days. And then on the 14th day, they were going to slaughter that lamb for the celebration. So, so there was no waiting until the ninth day. If they waited until the ninth day, there was a chance that there would be no lambs left on the shelf, all right? I, I think maybe in our culture today, we, we get that, especially, you know, if we think back to our, our Thanksgiving celebration, if you waited very long to go buy a turkey, there was a good chance there wasn't gonna be a turkey left, all right? And when they celebrated this festival, there was no waiting until the very last day to find the right lamb. They had to prepare for this moment. It required a great amount of detail. Failure to prepare adequately for the Passover would be haphazard, and disobedient. Careful preparation and care must be taken. The same is true as we share together and as we approach the elements around the table. Listen to what Paul says. Paul notes, before receiving the bread and the blood of Jesus, before receiving these elements, Paul gives these instructions. He says that we are to examine ourselves prior to receiving the elements. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Before we share together in the elements today, we're going to take just a few moments to even examine ourselves. To ask God, God, is there any wicked way in me? Is there something in my life that is not in alignment with you and with your character? Please, God, deal with that in my heart. This is not some flippant act that we do on occasion, but it's a holy moment. It requires care and reflection and attention. It's why I'm really focusing our message on that this morning because I want you to hear the heart behind why we even share together in these elements. Like the Passover, communion is a communal event where we remember the sacrifice of Christ. Number four, and I'll give these last, this last one to you quickly and then we'll share together in the elements. The Passover event, and this is probably the most significant thing this morning, the Passover event required the perfect sacrifice. Exodus 12, verse 5, the animal you select must be one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. Exodus 12, verses 12 and 13, on that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord, but the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign, marking the houses of where you are staying. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Children of Israel, they were required to find the right sacrifice. It had to be a one-year-old male lamb or goat, which implied that it had to be fully grown, had to be without defect, had to have no blemish, no spot, no stain. It had to be a perfect, spotless lamb. And then the blood of this sacrifice, per the instructions, once the animal was slaughtered, the blood was to be placed on the door post of their homes. And that would serve as a sign to God that this household had faith and trust in the God that they served. 
And because of that blood that was placed on the doorpost of their homes, that 10th plague, the angel of death that came through, the plague of death would not touch any homes who had blood on their doorpost, sparing them from God's judgment, those who had faith in God. What's significant about this, this event? This event prefigured the substitutionary death of Jesus. What does it mean when I say substitutionary death? It just means that Jesus, he is our substitute. He took our place. Scripture is pretty clear. Romans 3, verse 23, the wages are, excuse me, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so death is what every sinner deserves, but Jesus has taken our place on the cross. He is our substitute, and instead of us being sacrificed, he, the perfect sacrifice, our Passover lamb, took our place. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. He, Jesus, is the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb of God who takes away our sins. We don't have to go find a lamb or a goat any longer that is without defect. We don't have to gather that goat on the 10th day and then on the 14th day slaughter it because there has been a once and for all perfect lamb, spotless lamb that has already been sacrificed and that is the son of God, Jesus Christ. And so therefore, therefore we no longer have to offer those sacrifices because his sacrifice was completely and fully sufficient. Amen? He is the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb of God. First Peter chapter one, Peter says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value is with the precious blood of Christ. And then John 1, 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. Listen to what John says as he sees Jesus. Look, the lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world. The blood of Jesus is the means by which believers escape the horrors of spiritual death. We deserve death, but through the blood of Jesus, we can receive eternal life. The blood of Jesus is the means of our redemption. We are set free. We are brought out of being slaves to sin, and now we are made slaves to Christ through the blood of Jesus. Romans 5, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. In Ephesians 1, Paul said, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he's purchased our freedom, the blood of his son, and forgave our sins. And that is a price, folks, that only Jesus could pay. It wouldn't be sufficient if you paid it, if I paid it, because we are not sinless. We are not perfect. But Jesus Christ is the sinless, perfect, spotless Lamb of God who came to do what? To take away the sins of the world. His sacrifice on the cross is all sufficient. It it met all of the requirements. When when Jesus was hanging on the cross and when he said the final words, it is finished, what that really means is the debt has been paid in full. No longer do we have to offer another lamb or find another sacrifice, but the moment that Jesus said and declared on the cross that it is finished, He was saying to you, to me, and to all of humanity that the debt has been paid in full. No other sacrifice is necessary because Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. The sacrifice of Jesus is the all-sufficient and once and for all sacrifice for all of humanity. 
So as we share together in these elements, what are we doing? We are, number one, we're remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are reflecting on what he's done. As we shared together in these elements, we are reminded this morning that Jesus is enough. If there's anybody in here um, that has been told, well, well, that's not enough to get you to heaven and that's not enough just to have a relationship with God. You need to, you need to do better. You need to do that. That's garbage because Jesus is enough. And as we share together in these elements this morning, we are being reminded that that is true. And as we share together in these elements, we are reminded that we have been redeemed. We have been set free. We are no longer slaves to sin. How many are thankful that we are redeemed, that we are no longer slaves to sin? Worship team, if you want to come. I want to end with this story. And we'll share together here in just a moment in the elements. Former Boston Red Sox player Bernie Carbo tells the story going from hitting a home run in the 1975 World Series to drug addiction two divorces, and considering suicide. He said, I stood in the batter's box awaiting the next pitch. It was game six of the World Series. My team, the Boston Red Sox, trailed the Cincinnati Reds by three runs in the eighth inning. We needed to win this game to stay alive. I was sweating bullets. Two men on base. I could even the score with a single swing. I took a swing and watched as the ball sailed over the center field wall. might imagine that hitting a clutch home run in a crucial World Series contest would be really the the defining moment of my life. Truth, however, is that I was totally miserable. I was addicted to drugs. I'd even used some before the game. I spent the next few years bouncing around from team to team until I finally washed out of the big leagues altogether. It was only 32 and my career was over. The next eight years, I continued to use drugs. My wife and I bought a home in Florida, hoping to settle down, but for both of us, the drugs continued to flow. Finally, I told my wife we needed to slow down, but she refused and filed for divorce. I continued using other drugs and abusing alcohol. After second marriage and divorce, I met a former major leaguer, Dalton Jones, who told me about Jesus and explained the difference Jesus could make in a life as troubled as mine. I prayed that day, I prayed that day, and I believe Jesus began to work within my heart, even so I persisted in using drugs. At the point of losing all hope, sitting in my home, I was ready to take my own life. I felt like I had tried everything and I was worthless. After suffering a panic attack, I was sent to a hospital where I met a retired pastor. The pastor spoke with me about the Bible. He taught me about Jesus and how true healing could happen if I would trust in him. And I grew in my understanding of what it means to live for Christ every day and to rely on him for forgiveness and strength. 1994, I had one final relapse, which plunged me into a sea of guilt and despair. Then I met Tammy, a woman who became my wife. She reminded me about Jesus and the atonement for sins through his death on the cross. And I believed once more, listen, that his blood was sufficient to cover all my transgressions. And that we can depend on him for the grace we need to overcome the strongholds of addiction or any other habitual sin. Now, I've been married for 26 years. I've been clean the entire time. I want others to know there is hope. There is a way out of the deadly seduction of using drugs. Not only does Jesus Christ offer the way out, but he also offers the way into a life more joyful and abundant than anyone could ever imagine. Truly, our God is an awesome God.
what I want to bring you back to is that statement that he made and he said, and I believe once more that his blood was sufficient to cover all of my transgressions. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient. Another sacrifice doesn't have to be offered. We don't have to try to find another way, another avenue to be set free. Christ has already paid the ultimate sacrifice. He's redeemed us. He's purchased us as his own. We just have to receive what he has done for us. His sacrifice, his blood, it is the all-sufficient sacrifice. There is nothing greater. Your eyes closed.